Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalist Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time to the Ben Jarowski Show. As I speak, it's Friday, November 5th, 2021. The headline in today's Chicago Sun-Times, the editorial page headline, and there's a reason I'm doing this, the headline in today's uh, Sun-Times editorial page, Park District Board Prez must come completely clean and lifeguard scandal. Here, here on that one. And the other one, it's time to strike out the tomahawk, tomahawk chop. Man, I have problems with that one. Tomahawk chop. Here, here on that one, too. Two for two today, bright one, on your editorials. Uh, without further ado, I'll introduce my, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself, and they'll just see why these editorials are relevant. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. I'm Ramana Hussein. I'm an assistant metro editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, and she's also the same Ramana Hussein who appears in the Ben Jardowski show every other week. She's an occasional columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, and she's the author of those two editorials. She's telling it like it is on the editorial page of the Chicago Sun-Times. Ramana, I don't know if this is a permanent gig. I don't know if you're just doing this to help people out. I really don't know. I just urge... Uh, more and more for you to write more and more because you have such a great voice and you're such a talented writer. So what is this? This is permanent, just a tryout. What's your thoughts about being an editorial writer? Well, anybody who follows the Sun-Times um, knows or, uh, or the editorial board knows that Tom McNamee, who used to run the editorial board, um, had left about a month ago or um, a few weeks ago. And Lorraine Forte, who used to work on the editorial board, left for another gig, but then just came back to run the editorial board. So we're still down one person there. And so they've just been asking me to help. I'm not a permanent, I'm not a permanent uh, editorial board writer right now. I'm just kind of helping them out whenever they need help. So just lending a hand right now. And I did have a short stint on the editorial board, like in 2007, when I was much younger. So I do remember right how to write these, but they're definitely different than straight reporting and different than writing a column. Uh, so it takes the, you kind of have to switch gears in the way you think and write these. So yeah, I've, I've just been yeah. doing that and uh, it's, it's hard to come up with ideas. So I can tell someone when 
you think it's easy writing these. They definitely aren't very easy to write. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just. Thank you. Say, no, I, I, I uh, you write columns, you so that. you know, you know that. I know. Yeah. I, I, and I want to thank you for saying that because um, I've had people tease me. Oh, good. All you got to do is write your opinion. Okay, you have to have an opinion about everything. Okay, you know what I'm saying? It's not that easy. You wake up, you have to. And and, and a little shout out to Tommy Mack. Tommy Mack to me, uh, the retiring. Uh, I didn't agree with him politically on a lot of things. He was way more conservative than me. But I got to give the guy credit. He stayed on top of the news. He immersed himself in the details of, good God, how many issues, arcane issues. Uh, and he could articulate his point of view, Romana. Uh, and he did it. He he was representing the institutional voice of the Chicago Sun Times, so I think he, that may have, he may have moderated himself to a degree. Although I, it was sort of like the Stockholm syndrome. After a while, he began to agree with that moderated voice. But I give him cr- tremendous credit for just the discipline of having a view and analy- analyzing an issue and having a view. It's a t- it's not that easy, is it? No, it isn't. And the thing is, you have to really pay. I mean, I know. All most journalists pay attention to the news, but you know sometimes we're just inundated with so much stuff. Or how much are we? We're paying attention to the you know the stories we edit or the you know the beat writers that we cover. You know we look at their stuff and the you know their competition at, on the Tribune and other you know news organizations. But it's like you really have to pay attention to all kinds of news, and I do pay attention to national news and international news. But then you got to start thinking about what you have to say about it, and it can't. And you do kind of. When I write these, I think, like, how would I say it at a party? But you kind of have to tone it down a little bit. You know, you can't go too crazy. But um, they're hard to they're hard to write. I mean, columns are hard to write, too. Like, how can you come up? You, everybody obviously has an opinion. But coming up with something every day, I, I think it's, it's an art form. So I do appreciate people who have to come up with that, including you, Ben. God bless you. Thank you. Um, so, all right, uh, let's take the deep dive. So many issues. I'm going to start with the first editorial uh, about Avis Lavelle. Avis Lavelle, ladies and gentlemen, just to give a little background, is the uh, president of the Park District Board in the city of Chicago. Yes, like the Board of Education, the Park District Board is appointed by the mayor. Uh, I have now come to the point, if I were writing an editorial for the Sun-Times, I would say no more mayoral appointments. All these eyes, all they are are lap dogs. They do whatever the mayor says. They have no guts. That would be me. And probably someone at the Chicago Sun-Times will go, Ben, you got to calm this one down a little bit. Uh, but uh, Danny Mialopoulos, good friend of this show, a good friend of mine, actually, uh, for WBEZ, broke the story a couple days ago where, oh, God, this is unbelievable, even for Chicago, uh, Romana. I just, I, sometimes Chicago just blows my mind. Ava Savelle. Uh, so the, as, as we've discussed many times in the show, there's a scandal at the park district where lifeguards were sexually assaulting uh, female lifeguards, male lifeguards were sexually assaulting female lifeguards. They buried evidence of, of the, um, the allegations. They did nothing about it. Uh, Mike Kelly, the, the head of the park district had to finally step down. Uh, Danny Mialopoulos, Fran Spielman, Chicago Sometimes, both papers, both, uh, uh, news outlets have been hard on the story. Good for them. And, um. So uh, Ava Slavelle, in the midst of it, it's the I think it was Damian Lapos broke the story that uh, Kim Fox, state's attorney, was looking into it. At which point, Ava Slavelle, the president of the Park District Board, sent a text to uh, Kim Fox saying, "Can can you talk?" And then she wrote it was like text, so it was like, God, I gotta give her credit. She's a, a baby boomer like me, but she wrote it millennial style. She wrote C A N U. 
Michael, get you, Avis. <laughs> Drinking that fountain of youth. Uh, Avis Lavelle and I are roughly the same age. In a million years, Ramona is saying I would never, ever send a text message that said, can you? Ooh, like I'm a Z or something. Anyway, I just thought that was really inappropriate. I'll tell you why. <clears throat> because Kim Fox just got in trouble for Jesse Smollett. The whole Jesse Smollett thing emerged because uh, Tina Chen made a phone call to Kim Fox, and she it was an inappropriate phone call in the middle of an investigation. And, you know, you would think, okay, Kim Fox learned her lesson, but what about, quote, unquote, friends of Kim Fox? What are you guys going to try to get her in trouble all over again? You're not being friends of Kim Fox when you play these old games. That was my uh, reaction to it all. What is your reaction, Ramana? Um, yeah, I think that I, I've said that, you know, obviously someone like Kim Fox is going to know people at the top. But when she said that she's looking into things, just like with Jesse Smollett, it, it kind of like, you know, these, these text messages and, you know, people talking back and forth, you're just kind of like, what does this mean? And I think people have a right to know, like, you know, there's obviously allegations of a cover up. That, that is happening at the park district with, in terms of the, this culture that was perpetuated and the sexual harassment of these young women. Was it covered for too long? Um, Mike Kelly, like the report that came out when, when Avis Lavelle was questioned this week, the report basically said that Mike Kelly took his time. He said he was taking, he took six weeks to address one issue, but he actually took six months. So there was no sense of urgency. And Avis Lavelle it, you know, especially the comments she made this week where she said that she didn't know much of what was happening. She only knew what Mike Kelly told her and she trusted what he said. And then, you know, there's two aldermen, 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 Wagesback and alderman Michelle Smith were just like the park district AG actually reports to the park board president. So she knew something at some point. And so I think that I think it's a little interesting that she, you know, texted Kim Fox. And the fact that she's saying that she didn't know that much and that she's kind of holding back. I think she, you know, definitely some people are calling for a resignation. I think she needs to come clean and just talk about what exactly was said when and how and what she knew at this point. It's just, there's just been too many. There's like so many people. I mean, every day, like you hear, there's three people fired, you know, that are announced. Three people from the Park District Board, three top man management positions. They were fired as part of this investigation. We've heard like 42 people have been disciplined. Um, Mike Kelly lost a job. And then even the AG that was working on this case ended up resigning because of some a scandal from her former um, job. So there's just like so much going on. And, you you know, you have to tell people like you do definitely want to start over and, you know, make the, you know, this is the Park District Board. Um, it's children, you're, you know, these are teenagers who are being hired. These aren't adults, not to say that this should be acceptable and with adults as well. But I think this more people, more, more needs to be told. I think more yeah. people need want answers. Yeah, no, I think what happened in this particular case, uh, is that like, uh, you, we, uh, the rock, the proverbial rock was overturned and the public got its first glimpse of what life is like in the bureaucracies of the Chicago Park District. And it's a really unseemly sight, to put it mildly. And by the way, that was another Danny Megalopoulos scoop. Yes, that uh, was. About the Inspector General at the Chicago Park District. Uh, that was, that, <laughs> they fired the investigator 
The one in-house investigator, this is something else that's weird, uh, Ramana, and maybe you can help me with this. I think you and I may have talked about this in regards to the Blackhawks. But now and now, more and more institutions and, uh, and executives, when they get in trouble, what they do is they try to offset legal criminal investigations, or, and, they, and they hire their lawyers these from corporate law firms to do the investigations. The Blackhawks did this with uh, the scandal regarding sexual assault of a player by a coach. Chicago Blackhawks, how anybody can root for that team, I don't know. That's a whole other story. Uh, and uh, so they hired someone from Jenner and Block to run the investigation. And now uh, Lori Lightfoot did that at uh, the um, in the investigation of the raid at uh, Anjanette Young's house, uh, which circumvented the inspector general's investigation of that and now the park district is done they fired their in-house investigator who was investigated and they bring in a i i have trouble with this i i have some troubles with this i just wonder if you share my trouble i i just feel as like that is a conflict of interest when the person who's the subject of the investigation hires the investigator who's going to do the investigation i have troubles with that. i think that's a, a classic chicago invention yeah i uh, agree i, I hear, agree we try to Okay. No, no, I agree. I totally agree with you. Yeah. Well, write an editorial about it. All right, Romano. No, just kidding. All right. Uh, so let's move on to the tomahawk chop uh, and uh, talk about a little bit about this. Explain what this is all about. Go ahead. Um, I don't know if anybody follows the World Series or follows baseball in um, anybody who follows baseball knows that the Atlanta Braves, whenever they've been playing, they use they use this up and down hand motion imitating, you know, imitating what they, I guess, believe is a native American using a tomahawk, you know, chopping, you know, something. And it's, it's usually done as a symbol for, to show the other team that, Hey, we're going to chop you down, I guess that we're like, you know, get you. And for years, for years, native Americans have been saying that this, you know, Hawk, you know, the tomahawk chop is very offensive. They've been saying this for years. And the team has acknowledged that it has, you know, that they've addressed this before. Uh, there was a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinal Cardinals two years ago who was Native American descent and said that he didn't really like the tomahawk chop. And he kind of expressed his displeasure of it during the postseason play. And the Atlanta Braves actually, they stopped selling the foam tomahawks that they gave out or that they're out there for free. And they said they weren't going to play the music or anything like that. So they kind of toned it down. But then I was watching, I, I was watching, I was on Twitter one day and I saw that Donald Trump and Melania were game four of the World Series and they were doing the chop along with other people. And it looked very weird. It would just look like something, it was just, I'm like, I can't believe they still do this. So I kind of looked into that and, you know, just the history of it and, you know, the major league baseball commissioner at the beginning of the world series said that, well, all the um, native American groups in Atlanta are okay with the tomahawk chop. And, and then this other native American group, this national native American group is like, well, not really not uh, most native Americans don't like this. And so I just find it, you know, interesting. I mean, it, it, these native American groups have been pushing teams for decades about, you know, offensive mascots, you know, a lot of people don't, Want, you know, the Washington baseball uh, football team used to be called the Redskins. They finally got rid of that name. The Cleveland Indians actually got rid of their name, the Indians. I think they're going to be different next year. Um, my high school, actually, our, our, our uh, mascot was the Indians when I was growing up. 
And there was Native American groups, even back then, that had come to our school and said that it was offensive. And I remember there was this dialogue going on. And, you know, most of the kids that weren't kids of color didn't think it was offensive. And I remember we had debates about it, but it took them years. I think it was finally in 2004, they changed their names to the wolves. It's slowly changing, but I just can't believe that the tomahawk chop, I mean, you can't stop people from doing it. I understand that, but at least say that it's wrong. Like to say that, well, it's just team spirit. It's, it's yeah, you know, there's other things you can do, I think. Um, you know, they, the I think the Braves even said that they will keep talking about the tomahawk chop. They said they're going to keep the name the Braves, but like, you know, tone down, you know, maybe they'll tone down the tomahawk chop later or just get rid of it. I don't know how you can get rid of it. You can't stop people from doing things. You can't probably control a stadium, but at least say that it's wrong or something. You know, the top baseball officials should at least say it's wrong, not defend it. Yeah, it's... um I, I have issues on two fronts, and I'll share this with you and get your thought. I'll, I'll just talk about the uh, my primary issue. Uh, I, the motion, that the actual motion, which I'm doing right now. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, nobody can see because this is audio only. I don't know why I'm doing it. Monica can see me doing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but the actual motion itself uh, is a little too close to comfort for me to the Heil Hitler uh, salute that uh nazis use and it's not just uh the tomahawk chop at braves games i've been to notre dame games oh yeah where they do it uh they do it so it's like the uh i remember back in the, uh, the 80s lou holtz was the coach this is really showing my age i went to a the only notre dame game i ever went to and they were going lou lou and they were doing the hawk and then uh your husband's beloved Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if you ever knew a Bruce Springsteen concert. I have. But, <laughs> Ten, maybe. Okay, well, I really, I, I, I they do that Bruce, yeah, Bruce, and they do, that, and I, I don't like it. I'm like, you know, I went the last Bruce Springsteen concert I went to was in Wrigley Field in twenty. I think Mick was twenty twelve. I was, I was there too. Twenty two. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you were both there. Okay, yeah. They were doing Bruce. <laughs> Not with Mick. What's that? I wasn't with Mick. Oh. Okay. Uh, separately, they went. Anyway, um, the point is, is like I didn't participate because it was too, it was too Nazi like. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like fifty thousand or forty thousand people at Wrigley Field, all doing this in unison. I just, to quote the millennials, it triggered me, and uh, so I just didn't participate. That I have a revulsion to it on that grounds. Do you share that or? Well, well, it's interesting because I did talk to, it didn't get, it didn't make it to the editorial. Um, but I did, I, I thought when I saw Donald Trump and, um, everybody else in the audience doing the tomahawk chop, I don't know if you saw it. Um, but it looked very eerie to me. And I, I thought, and I really said that it reminded me of the Heil Hitler <laughs> sign and, you know, I'm not Jewish, so I didn't know if it was in my place to say that, but I just felt really weird. It felt really culty when I saw it. I was just like, this looks really bizarre. And it's something that's, you know, considered offensive. So it looked really weird. And most of the audience, most of the people in the stands were doing it. I don't know, off bat seemed to be white. So it looked really weird to me. And that's what I was thinking in my head. Didn't really talk, you know, that's what I felt like. And I told Mick and that's about it. And then when I talked to several different Native American groups to write this editorial, one woman did tell... I didn't even bring it up. I just said, well, if somebody tells you that they don't think it's offensive, what would you say back to them? And she said, well, it's kind of like going up to 
uh, Jewish person and doing the Heil Hitler sign. And that's what she said. And I didn't even prompt it. I just said that I, I, I you know, there's a lot of people who don't, it thinks, think it's pretty harmless. And can you tell us why it's considered harmless? And this whole thing made me think about Colin Kaepernick too, at the same time. I know Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick is a player and, you know, he took a knee and that was considered offensive and he lost his job because of that. And meanwhile, these these individuals people are like, that's offensive. He's like being disrespectful to the American flag, to America. And that was a protest. Meanwhile, these fans are allowed to sit there and, you know, and they're encouraged, you know, by Major League Baseball to do this that is offensive to other people. So that's the whole thing that I bring up with cancel culture, because somebody will tell me like, oh, you just want to cancel things. But you it's like it's so hypocritical i know they're like two different things but they it reminded me of kaepernick i'm like some guy lost his job because he took a knee and that was a protest of how black americans have been treated in this country and meanwhile all these people can sit around in the stands and make this offensive gesture that is offensive to the indigenous people this country it's it's I don't know. I find sports culture very interesting. It's like what is approved and what isn't. It it just reminds me of the whole park district thing. It's like this boorish behavior is is kind of elevated a lot and a lot in sports culture. And and I'm not saying sports is bad. I love sports and you know, I'm not I'm not someone like you that's like glued to the t- television when the Bulls are playing. I'm like cheering for a lot of teams and I like I like sports, but I don't know. Sometimes I find the culture very very like antiquated not not i guess basketball uh, isn't but i i have to correct what you just said uh just a correction here in the ben jarofsky show uh i i'm not glued to the tv when the bulls are playing because this is embarrassing to admit i can't watch the bulls on tv because i don't have that kind of cable so if Technically, I'm glued to my cell phone, which is even more pathetic. I'm wa- <laughs> yeah. Or I used to go to my friend's house to watch the Bulls games. Uh, I guess I could do that now, but I, I kind of fell out of that after during COVID. So I follow the Bulls. This is really sad to admit, either on a radio or a cell phone. But uh, your your general point uh, is, and and so I I mean you had a line that I I wrote down uh, culty, uh, and there is a lot of cult behavior in sports uh, obviously uh, and cult behavior at rock concerts uh and it's we like me at the one bulls game i went to this year i was jumping up and down and joining the crowd in a chant of let's go bulls it was a great moment in my life i want to say uh and um <laughs> but uh i so you know if i was playing devil's advocate with myself like oh ben that's kind of culty but i don't know it's just the next level where you're actually doing joining a crowd doing a an arm motion that really is kind of re- uh, reminiscent just saying folks of the hitler salute i might want to reconsider that one it's funny that um, it's, and then cancel it's funny that you said the thing about um, bruce springsteen because the first time i saw him in concert i thought they were booing him i was like why are they booing bruce springsteen and then i realized during saying bruce i don't think i've ever actually joined in on saying that I mean, I don't think I ever did that, but um, I, I was just confused by it. But I mean, I've said I've joined in on cheers and stuff. It's not the joining in that's like problematic to me. It's like what is being done that's problematic. So anyway, you can go on with cal- cancel culture if you want to talk about that. No, cancel culture. We've discussed this and we can't say it enough. It's the biggest, bogus, most BS issue in the world. It's used as a weapon by the right. They cancel culture all the time. What is the reaction to critical race theory but cancel culture? All these like 
white people in Virginia are like, oh, oh, I don't want to hear about slavery. It makes my it makes little Becky feel bad. And so teachers can't teach slavery. What's that? That's cancel culture. It's just right. The right wing does cancel culture all the freaking time. And uh, but they successfully brainwash people in this country to think of it as even left liberals. They're always apologizing to me. Uh, you, Romano, they, they always be like, well, Ben, you have to admit there's a lot of intolerance on the left. How many times have I heard that? In fact, Tom McNamee and I had a debate when he, God bless him, he came on the show early on when I was at the Bright One, when I had my little studio at the Sun-Times, and we had a little debate about the cancel culture. Uh, and I just feel as though that it's just a tool. It's meaningless tool. It's meaningless rhetoric that's been turned used as a tool by the right against liberals and liberals are just so dumb. This is me speaking, not Romana that they fall for it. And they just start repeating the drivel that they hear from the right. And I know you feel very similar Romana because we've talked about cancel culture all the time. All the, you're right. Colin Kaepernick gets canceled. Nobody's crying for him except for you and me. Yeah. <laughs> and other people too. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, by the way, you've been watching the Colin Kaepernick uh, docudrama. There's a docu- um, I didn't realize this. Yeah, with um, it, he worked on that with Ava DuVernay. I do, I do plan on uh, watching that. I was going to talk about that during our recommendations. I think Mick does want to watch that. Okay. I think, I think our next show is going to be Narcos, which starts today. Narcos Mexico and uh, the Colin Kaepernick. I think between those, those, those will be the ones I'm going to be watching with Mick. All right. All right. Let's get to uh, Jenna White. Uh, Ryan, I really want to hear your th- uh, thoughts about her. Uh, she is the MAGAite uh, who stormed the Capitol back in January uh, and uh, defiantly proclaimed on Twitter. Well, you take it away, uh, Ramon. I think this is uh, this story's got your name written all over it. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I didn't even know. I mean, I, I did remember hearing about this woman when she first got arrested. She's one of the Capitol rioters. She was a real estate agent um, from Texas. I think she took a private plane to Washington, D.C., and she, uh, you know, ran into the Capitol building and she said how it was like her favorite, like her best day ever, you know, storming into the Capitol. Anyway, she gets arrested and, uh, you know, she was tweeting about how she won't um, get jail time because uh, she's white, blonde and has a good job or something. So I thought that was pretty funny. And then anyway, she ends up getting, uh, I think, six months in prison. So she did end up going in prison. So her prediction was wrong. So that's a, so her her being white and blonde did not help her cause in this case. So do you think she when she said that uh, she had any sense of the irony of her saying that? You know what I mean? Like because uh, so much of the reaction uh, from people on the left, and I remember uh, talking to you about it. Uh, in the aftermath of the uh, January 6th insurrection was that, oh my God, if there's people of color, they would never have been treated this way by the police. It would have been brutalized. (laughs) So many people had that response. And she comes right out and seconds it. Do you think she was being ironic when she did that? or No, because she, she, okay, I mean, every single white person knows they have privilege, whether they say it or not. It's like most, a lot of white people internalize it. They won't say it, but they know they, they know they can do things and get away with it. Um, they know, you know, it's just kind of like they can do drugs, like in an open air concert, like all these white kids can sit around and, you know, Lollapalooza and like do all kinds of drugs. And there's cops walking around and nobody cares. 
And if it was another concert, it was hip hop and there are a lot of black and brown kids at the show, I'm telling you, it'd be a totally, totally, totally different scenario. And that's something my niece pointed out to me when she was going to Lollapalooza. She's like, do you realize like, you know, these white kids are doing everything under the sun. And so people know that they can, what they can get away with. So whether they say it or not, um, it's something that's internalized if they don't say it. But yeah, I mean, that's, I think she, she knows that she knows it, it's funny that someone like her would openly say that because a lot of the, a lot of people who think like her think that white people are being threatened right now in the United States, but she's, she's owning it. She's saying, Hey, I'm white and blonde. I'll, I'll get away with it. So <laughs> it was, it was pretty funny, I think, but she is, she's in jail or I don't know if she's in jail right now, but she's had to serve she has to serve a sentence. That's a, uh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, white people know white privileges exist, but they don't admit white privilege exists. In fact, they go the other way and they say they are the victims of a privilege uh, that works for people who are not white. Uh, and wow, what a b- bit of political jujitsu that is. <laughs> they know they're the beneficiaries of privilege, and yet they pretend they're victims uh, because that suits their political needs. And it leads to the election of a Republican governor in Virginia. Wow. Uh, And that brings me to our next topic, Kyle Rittenhouse, speaking of a form of white privilege. uh, I think you also wrote a uh, Kyle Rittenhouse uh, editorial as well. Uh, Your thoughts on the early days of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which is going on in Kenosha right now. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, of course, he killed two people. in the summer of 2020 killed him. We all know he killed him. That's not the issue. The issue is whether he can claim it's self-defense. Go ahead. Yeah, that was, um, I, I, the editorial that, um, dealt with Kyle Rittenhouse focused on the fact that, uh, he could, um, the three individuals, two individuals who were killed and one that was injured, they couldn't be referred to as victims. Um, during the trial, but um, the actual victims, the so-called victims in this case, I shouldn't even say so-called, they are victims because they're dead. They, uh, two of them are dead, one is injured. Um, They could be called rioters, arsonists, and looters if the defense can prove that they were in fact rioters, arsonists, and looters. And so I talked to um, some attorneys that worked at 26 in California about this. And I can tell you that Covering 26 in Cal for California for nearly 10 years, I've never seen a defense attorney ask whether or not the prosecutors were asked the prosecutors to not use that word victim while they're talking about someone that was killed or shot and injured. And um, some defense attorneys said that they, you know, maybe in some rape cases, but they did say that legally they can understand why. If, especially if someone's arguing self-defense, which is totally fine. So if these attorneys don't want the men who are shot to be described as victims, that's fine. But then I think it's hypocritical for the defense to be allowed to use those words, um, you know, arsonists, looters, and um, rioters. And one law professor I spoke to who wasn't, you know, her quote got taken out of the article, but she was just saying, she was pointing out, she goes, you know, the, the victims in this case aren't the ones on trial. It's, it's Kyle Rittenhouse. And I don't know, a lot of people feel like, you know, 
what they've been hearing and the, you know, the early parts of the trial and jury selection and, you know, what can, can be said and what can't be said, they feel like they're wondering already if Kyle Rittenhouse is going to get off. And it's, it's, it's the fact that he's has so much support is just insane. I mean, he was able to be bailed out by all these influential people. I shouldn't say influential, but people with money, including actor Ricky Schroeder and my pillow guy. And so, you know, he's been treated like a, you know, he's been called a hero by many people. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be cynical, but I think a lot of people are feeling cynical about this case. And, you know, they're even saying, just reading the headlines, I think there was a headline a couple of days, days ago about, they called him like a something tourist, a chaos tourist, or like, you know, that's what the defense is calling him. And it was in the headlines and, you know, somebody told me they're listening to some of the the case and they're like, God, the prosecutors actually do have an uphill battle. And I'm like, it's just sounds so crazy. Like if it was like a person of color with a automatic weapon walking around, would they, they would be shot before like they even started shooting at people. And so for this kid to be like, why is any kid walking around with a, an assault rifle is beyond me. And why is he allowed to do that is beyond me. But we were talking about white privilege and to anybody looking at this, how could you say that it wasn't white privilege? Why he was allowed to walk around like that. Internalized white privilege. Yes. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. You just felt he had the right to show up with a, a weaponry uh, and the police allowed him to be there and they welcomed him. Apparently they gave his crew water uh, and they allowed him after he shot two people just to walk home or to go home. So uh, you're absolutely correct. And I got when I heard you on that riff about the lawyers, let me just say this defense lawyers uh, for Kyle Rittenhouse. Man, you guys are a bunch of wimps. A real lawyer would use it to your advantage. Like if you think that they're not legitimately victims, then mock the use the word in a mocking tone with the jury. You know, like a real lawyer. Instead, Romana, they they're like they need the judge, the referee, to make a ruling in their favor. You get what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'm going to start with an advantage. I'm a, I'm going to have an advantage when they're. I already have an advantage where like the America, white America, is rallying this guy's defense, and rich people are paying my salary. I already got that advantage going on. I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to have the judge rule in my, it's like if the, the, the referee was like watching the bulls play the Celtics the other night and said, you know, I like the Celtics bulls. You can only play with your left hand. You can't use your right hand in this game. And that's what, the, to me, it's like, you, do you get what I'm saying? Ramon? It's like automatically you can't call them victims. You're already talk about cancel culture, Romana. How about that? What about the culture of the prosecutors? You cancel it. <laughs> you can't, you can't even, you see but, what I'm saying though? Legally, like if you're a good attorney, you could say, go ahead. Yeah, but legally they can. And you know, one of my, I, I touched base with somebody that I know who's a judge and she sent me a law article about how using the word victim kind of, you know, they're like why people don't want to use it. So even the, the attorneys who disagreed with the fact that it can't be used, they said legally it makes sense. So that's fine. But my editorial was like, why use loaded words for the victims? Then? And, you know, the judge was saying the victims, Absolutely. Is, the victims saying calling someone a victim is too loaded of a word. And, and to be fair to the judge, this judge whose last name is also Schroeder for some reason. So I thought that was a little <laughs> freaky. Um, 
he basically said that I think in his courtroom historically he in in cases where someone dies or is a you know a shot they don't use the word victim in his courtroom. I don't know. I don't. I can't say one way or another because I didn't cover. I don't cover Kenosha courts. But that's. I'm trying to be fair, and that's a lot. People are saying legally they can understand. But one defense attorney I talked to, he was like, I think that's crazy. I mean, he goes, you know, even in murder cases, I defend the person's still a victim. Maybe it's a question of whether that person did it or not, but that person died and they're still a victim. So one one veteran defense attorney told me, like he literally said it was insane. So it is. It's right wing political correctism. It's cancel culture. It's it's editorializing people's. It's taking away their First Amendment right. I mean, I'm just going to use the rhetoric of the right against the right here, and they're completely hypocritical. Yeah, maybe legal. Yeah, judge sanctioned it, but doesn't make it right. I mean, you're getting away with an advantage. And and I'll repeat what I said. If you were a good lawyer, you would use it to your advantage. You would mock the concept that the two people who were killed were victims by putting on a case that showed them to be the assailants. And so you could say to the jury, oh, they call them victims. Well, what kind of victim does X, Y, Z? That's if you're a good lawyer. But these are these guys are like, well, we're going to get an advantage from the judge. So you're going to win the game by getting an advantage. It's just like Jenna Ryan down in wherever she was, Texas or whatever. She goes, well, I'm blonde, so I won't be thrown in jail. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, you just got an advantage. Yeah. Well, I, I should I should tell I should tell you a funny story about being blonde. I mean, I've never said I wanted to be white when I was a little kid, but I did internalize that, you know, being blonde was considered great when I was little. I remember crying to my dad one day and asking him why I didn't have blonde hair and I wanted blonde hair and I was crying. I was like five years old and my dad's like, oh, your hair's beautiful. And he's like, why everybody wants hair like yours? And I was like, no, they don't. And then I just remember that's the one one incident that I remember wishing I was blonde. And now, you know, now that I'm older, I'm like, I would have looked like an idiot with blonde hair, but um, with my skin <laughs> with my skin coloring. But I remember, I'm just saying it's something, so this woman's internalizing it. I mean, when we were growing up in this, I, I was born in the 70s, and that's what you're told. If you were blonde, you were pretty. And I'm sorry, not everybody who has blonde hair is attractive. And that's what the American culture was at the time. Oh, she's blonde. So she's automatically pretty or, you know, like and or a blonde person's an all American look, you know. So that's what was kind of ingrained in culture for a, a, the longest period. So this woman saying, I'm blonde, I can get away with it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I said. So you know, if I wanted blonde hair, this woman knows what's up. So it's pretty funny. That is hilarious. Uh, all right, let's move on to the recommendation portion of the show. Romana makes a recommendation on each uh, show. Uh, and breaking news on the Romana recommendation beat, Romana Hussein, yes, Romana Hussein attended a Bob Dylan concert. Uh, her beloved husband, Mick Dumkey, loves Bob Dylan beyond comprehension. No, I'm just teasing. I share his love with it. Actually, I don't think I know Dylan as well as Mick does. Uh, no, you Romana. don't. He, he really... <laughs> <laughs> he really we did a deep dive it's one of our most popular shows mick dumkey and ben jarofsky just sort of like going on and on about bob dylan so people share our love for dylan i never thought you as a bob dylan fan um and at age 80 uh bob dylan sounds like a croaking toad when he sings and i admit that even though i have a love bobby d but i can't understand a word he's i've stopped going to his concerts uh, Romana, because I can't understand a word he's saying, and he changes the songs up. 
so I can't recognize the song. So I'm, it's like I'm paying money just to look at Bo- Bob Dylan on stage going, <laughs> like, you know. That's, that's how I felt. So I actually, so Mick, a couple months ago, he was like, do you want to go to see Bob Dylan? And I always heard, like, I'm a casual fan. I like, you know, like a Rolling Stone. I like a lot of the stuff that he did in the 60s. You know, I I, I, lo- I like those songs. But I'm not a huge Dylan fan like, you know, Mick is. I'm, I don't know his, like, you know, I, I you know, he made me watch, like, during the, pa- during the height of the pandemic for his birthday. He wanted to watch a Bob Dylan documentary. And we watched two hours of it. And then he's like, okay, I saw that it was done. <laughs> I thought it was done, but then he's like, oh no, there's more. So it's like a four hour documentary. And I'm like, well, it's your birthday. I got, I got to watch it, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> I always heard like from similar casual fans are like, no, he, he's just not great in concert. My young niece, who's like a millennial, went to go see him once and she's like, oh God, it sucked. And I was like, well, I heard it wasn't, she's like, everybody was old. And I'm like, yeah, but he's old too. But anyway, my, my, he's 80. So Mick was actually not, was like, well, maybe I don't want to go. It's indoors. And, but then my younger sister was like, I see Dylan. So I go, why don't you go see Bob Dylan with Mick? And then Mick's like, oh, she'd go with me. And he goes, okay, maybe I'll get tickets. And he got four tickets. So me, my brother and my younger sister, Mick, and then Mick's brother and his uncle came in from Michigan. And we all, six, six, six of us went to go watch it. And all, um, the rest of us did not recognize most songs and my brother didn't look after the show Mick is like yeah you know he's saying this song and my brother's like he did my brother's more a bigger fan than I am I he's and then he was like he did and Mick's like yeah he totally changes it up so Mick is the only one who recognized all the songs like most of us were just like what is this and 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 you know it, it wouldn't have been as fun with a group of people because we're laughing at the whole situation he did sound like Bob Dylan I was glad I saw him because he was a legend but, you know, the whole it was just a funny scene because, you know, we're all like, what is this song? And I go, I hope he does not sing that JFK song because that's like 20 minutes. And Mick's like, yeah, <laughs> Mick is like, Mick is like, he'll sing another song that's 20 minutes. And, you know, my my brother and my younger sister were just kind of laughing because, you know, he definitely like he's he's old. He doesn't play guitar anymore. And I think it's probably because he can't. And, you know, he sits behind a piano a lot. And when he's standing, he's kind of like hunched. And, and I should laugh because a lot of the crowd, they're like definitely older boomers. And, you know, this is an auditorium theater, so it's really small and it's dark. And, you know, some of them were trying to like go to the bathroom and it's like they were taking so long to go up the stairs and some of them needed help. Like, you know, get to hold their hands to get them upstairs. And it was, it was cute, but it was like, you know, you kind of have to laugh a little. And it was, <laughs> it was my first um, indoor event um, since the pandemic with a large group and you know they were pretty good with I have to say they were pretty good with you know checking vaccination cards and we all we wore our masks throughout the whole thing and I would think the Dylan crowd and I would think Dylan himself would want a vaccinated crowd so it was cool most people were compliant and it was it was fun I'm glad I saw him he was he was he was no Paul McCartney Mick and I always have this argument because he's like Bob Dylan's the best songwriter ever I'm like no he's not and I'm like the Beatles are and I I was I try to explain to Mick that Beatles are and I'm not saying everybody has to like the Beatles because I know a lot of people don't but I said you know if you play a Beatles song to my cousins in India they will like it you know there's just something about the Beatles like they might won't understand the lyrics but it's just the harmonies but I go, if, they, if I play Bob Dylan, they're going to be like, what is this guy? This guy sounds like a frog, you know? That's just what, that's what I'm just saying. I go, he has this, a Bob Dylan is a very American sound. And I'm not saying people don't like that kind of sound because there's people all over the world who love him. But I'm just saying, I don't know. There's something about the Beatles that's a little more magical to me. So No, the Beatles, 
yeah, go ahead. Finish your and and, and I, I did see Paul McCartney a few years ago, which I had refused to do for a really long time because um, I wanted just to see the Beatles and not anybody solo. But I finally went because I'm like, I don't want him to be gone and me regret it. So when I saw Paul McCartney, I mean, he's 79 now, but at that time he was probably 75 and he was just, it's so much energy. You know what I mean? He was, it was like his voice sounded amazing and it's like he was running around and he just like, wasn't calling it. It's just amazing to see. And I, you know, I, I thought Bob Dylan was cool, but Paul McCartney totally blew him away. And, and you know, so Mick, it, I think I was glad Mick really liked it. It was good. I'm glad I went. I, I, I he is a legend, and you know he's talented at what he does. I mean, I think it's great. And you know he doesn't. Really, and I think it's kind of cool that he doesn't care about the fans and what they want to hear. He's just like I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. So he's weird that way. I he guess. probably did all the songs you know. No, no, no. He probably no. did all the songs you know, but he just he when he did it, like when, when the last time I saw him, he was in the middle of a song. I had no idea what he was singing. All of a sudden, I heard a lyric. I go, oh, wait a minute. That's uh, like a Rolling Stone he's singing. Because like I'm saying, he changes the like the melody, where, and he's incapable of carrying a tune anymore, and he just bleats. He can't no, understand. No, no. He, but he sounded like Bob Dylan. I have to say he sounded like Bob Dylan. Like He sounded what I thought. I was scared that what, he wasn't going to sound like what I think of as Bob Dylan. He sounded like him. He's not known for his, like, you know, voice but that he is known for his distinct voice but nobody says like he has this awesome voice he's known for his distinct voice but he was it was good. actually i've read articles i've read articles but where they've people have, um praise bob dylan his phrasing they go he's got the best phrasing since frank sinatra i'm listen man i as he's music saying, critics he, that's a whole he sang a frank sinatra I, song yeah that's his he did <laughs> he, he did sinatra. He's yeah, saying Frank you know which Sinatra. one it was. No, I have. I don't listen to. I'm not a Frank Sinatra fan at all. You know, I know my kind of town, yeah. but I'm like, I'm not like a Frank Sinatra. Mick, Mick was like, this is a Sinatra song. Mick knew every single song he sang, except. Um, uh, that is hilarious. One. I'm looking at the bright one today. Uh, the Sun Times has um, a, a, a headline. I mean, a story about it, and I can't find it. Oh well, it doesn't matter. Uh, all right, I just going to say this about the Beatles. Uh, if you don't like the Beatles, there's something wrong with you. I'm just going to put it out and say it's like Motown. The Beatles and Motown. It's a universal sound. It's so enjoyable. And uh, just the other, I just do not understand how anybody. If you don't like the Beatles, it's a political statement you're making for whatever reason. Has it's just you're making a political statement for some bizarre reason that only you know, and you need psychological help there. I said it. Uh, all right, Romana. Uh, I just want to, I, the good news you gave me before we went on air is that you're watching impeachment. I'm going to hold off on a, a discussion of impeachment until you've seen a few more episodes. I'm utterly obsessed with that show. Uh, the, the last episode drops next week. And uh, so maybe when you've seen a few more, we can take the deep dive on it. Uh, everybody knows I'm a huge Ryan Murphy fan, and he's the producer of Impeachment, which tells the story of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp. And you'll get into Ken Starr and Brett Kavanaugh, and uh, I just think it's a great. Oh, I saw them already. How 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 many episodes are you into it? Five. Oh, you're you're chugging right along. You did it the right way. As I was doing it week by week when it came out, and you're it's pretty much it's one episode away. So you're like, okay, you could eat it every day. So uh, we'll probably discuss that the next time you're on the show. Uh, Romano saying, I want to thank you very much for taking the time, uh, and good luck with those sometimes editorials. And uh, yeah, talk to you in a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. 
Thanks. Take care, guys. All right. That's a great Romano saying. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.